Well, things are getting ugly down in the state of Mississippi. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi is suing hospital executives at the University of Mississippi Medical Center for defamation. Hmm. From Fulcrum Strategies and Flatlining.net, this is the Flatlining Podcast. One thing we've noticed from listeners of the Flatlining Podcast is that not all of you have signed up for our weekly e-newsletter. You can do so now at flatlining.net. Each week, we share some of the most interesting and relevant healthcare news-related items we find and how they might affect you, your practice, or your patients. It also includes a weekly column from me. Sign up now for the Friday Pulse Check at flatlining.net. everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast, the podcast that brings you great healthcare analysis and discussion each week. I'm Matthew Handley from Flatlining.net. With us is economist and the president and CEO of Fulcrum Strategies, Ron Howergan. Ron, thanks for coming. You're very welcome. Happy to do it. We will be talking about this defamation case between Blue Cross Blue Shield Mississippi and the University of Mississippi Medical Center, but we want to get to two other topics before we get started. And first is the other payer news that came out within the last uh, couple days, and that is their quarter two earnings. And a lot of uh, you know business news analysts take a look at this. They talk about how well that the insurance companies are doing, what it might mean for, for out-of-pocket costs and such, stuff like that. So we're going to dive into that just a little bit. And Ron, I guess I want to start by saying, do, do earnings matter for patients and physicians? Oh, they absolutely matter. Um, you know, especially for the, the publicly traded companies, you know, the Anthem, which is now Elevance, uh, mm -hmm. United, Cigna, all those, Centene. Because, you know, earnings would drive stock price, and the primary function of those companies is to increase their stock price. Um, and so if earnings are down then they've got to do something to try to drive those earnings up and get that stock price back up. A lot of times that is, those are things that may be bad for physicians or even bad for patients. Um, if earnings are up, well, then the bar is set and they've got to make them up even higher next quarter. So mm -hmm. um, it's important to look at earnings because it will drive what those companies do. Sometimes it's things we don't like, you know, for the consumer of their product. Uh, and even for physicians, as they, you know, when the insurance companies try to keep their bottom line from being too effective, either they want to cut reimbursement or negotiate down um, increases for, for provider reimbursement. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's like the old thing. I, you know, when I was a young kid, I, I think intuitively I figured out that, you know, if I had to ask my dad for money, asking him for money the day before he got paid was never a good thing because he didn't have any money, you know? Right. So if, if the payers are down on what they think earnings is, they think they don't have any money, asking them for an increase in your fee schedule is not likely to happen. Mm -hmm. Do they, uh, do you think they're a good tell of how the, the health of the economy is doing in general? Um, no, I, I don't think that looking at any one sector's earnings 
is a good tell for how the whole economy is going. It's why, you know, most economists look at more broad things, broad measures, because there are definitely sectors of the economy that do better when other things are doing worse. You know, um, and, you know, one of the things that we know um, from earnings and from what happened is the pandemic was an earnings boom for many insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you can see it in their earnings reports where they're they're up year over year. Um, well, the pandemic was not a big boom for most of the rest of the economy, just for the insurance companies. We can look at the quarter two earnings in a minute, but we were discussing before we got started today that, that it really makes more sense to look at their, their year over year earnings for, for the total year. And I want to do that real quick by um, taking a look at the big insurance carriers we have in the United States, which Elevance, uh, formerly Anthem, United Healthcare, Cigna, and Centene. And um, Elevance and, and United Healthcare both had, uh, I mean, if you're, you're talking in billions of dollars, they both had reasonable increases in, in from 2020 to 2021. Um, Elevance doing $4.6 billion in 2020 and six point one in 2021. Uh, United doing 15.4 and then 17.3 in 2021. What do you think uh, contributes so much to their growth? Because it's clearly not patients doing not well health-wise. So what contributes to their, their, their revenue growth? Well, and actually this gets back to the, and, and this will will sound a little morbid, and I, I don't mean mm-hmm. it to be, but... Um, when you look at what COVID did from purely an insurance company actuarial basis, um, to a large degree, it, it thinned the herd, so to speak. And again, I'm not trying to be morbid, but um, we know in this country that 5% of the people in this country consume half of all the healthcare expenses. Mm-hmm. And we know that a big chunk of that 5% are people with chronic illnesses, long-term, you know, diabetes, COPD, other forms of you know, of rheumatoid arthritis or, you know, MS, et cetera. Well, that cohort of people were also the people that were much more at risk for COVID and people who suffered um, a much higher mortality rate. So COVID hit, they hit the people with other comorbid conditions, et cetera. That's a big chunk of the, you know, of the people who died from COVID, especially that died very early on before there was a vaccine, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So if you're an insurance company, what COVID did was came in and fairly quickly and relatively low expense, when you think about expense over a long period of time, got rid of those very sick people or a large chunk of them, which means their book, if you will, or their their overall um you know, health of their of their population got better. I mean, it did the same thing for Medicare, mm-hmm. um, and and they reaped the benefits of it. Plus, a lot of their book of people, a lot of their covered lives are self funded. So a lot of those COVID expenses of treating those COVID people actually got hit by the self funded employer, not by United or right. uh, Elevance or or you know, uh, Anthem, et cetera. So, you know, that's a big part of why they've seen this huge uptick in earnings. Um, not to mention the fact that in the early stages of COVID, um, we weren't doing elective surgeries. We weren't doing elective, people weren't getting screening mammograms. They were still collecting premiums. They just weren't paying anything out. So that was a huge windfall. So, you know, like I said, it's one of those areas, one of those weird areas where um, they actually did better during covid where other industries, the airline industry, the you know entertainment industry, et cetera, hospitality, all did much worse. 
other than um, raising the stock price and and having you know people make more money because the business is doing better, what, what are the advantages, if any, of an insurance company pulling in more profit year over year? Um, they pay higher taxes. <laughs> you know, <Okay>. I mean, <laughs> so the, the point is, um, I, I know, guess I should have clarified for yeah. the for a healthcare perspective or or for from a physician perspective. You know, is there benefit to the insurance company doing better? Well, and, and again, I, I don't mean to be glib, I but but here's the reality. Um, insurance companies' earnings are not necessarily um, tied to any benevolence on what it does for the consumers of their product or the people mm -hmm. who deliver healthcare. The only place where that really happens is, you know, for their fully insured business, which is, you know, roughly for most of the, the major carriers, a third or less of their total population. For that business, you know, the Affordable Care Act said that they, you know, they have to spend at least a certain percentage on the actual care delivery. And if they're, if they're not spending that much, they have to do a refund to their customers. So yeah, you know, there are probably some of the small employers who got a small refund, you know, from their carrier because they were making more money than the law allows, but only on a, roughly a third or less of their little population. The rest of it, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have that direct correlation. So it's not like, any for-profit company says, wow, we made, you know, $17 billion in earnings. You know, we should give all of our doctors a raise any more than they than they say we should give all of our employees a raise. Right. You know, it's one of the arguments people have about corporate earnings don't result in employees making more money. Right. So there's no, now if, this is a big if, if those earnings are because they actually made their population much healthier, they were extremely successful in preventative medicine or in, in dealing with disease states earlier, and they made money because the overall health of their population got so much better, then sure, there would be a direct you know, correlation between they did something good. The problem is there's no data to support that they've ever done that, not to any great degree. Right. So, um, no, they're just, you know, the fact that United made, you know, more money or Avalance made more money isn't inherently good for their consumers or for people who deliver care. Also on our list here, we've got uh, Cigna and Centene's earnings, and they both reported loss going from 2020 to 2021. And um, with Cigna, we want to caution that it's not necessarily, excuse me, does not necessarily have to do with the health of the company, but rather they sold off part of their company. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so in, in 2020, they took a one-time big shot of earnings because they sold their PNC division. Um, and so their earnings for 2020 are highly inflated because they, you know, it's like saying that I sold my house and I got all this equity money and then my bank account went up. Well, it doesn't mean that I'm earning more money that year. It means I sold something. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why their earnings look like they went down in 2020 or 2021, I mean. But if you look at 2021 compared to 2019, that's up. So that, right. that abnormality in 2020 is because they sold off a chunk of their business. Um, Centene's a different story, and mm -hmm. it's an entirely different animal. Their earnings were down in 2021, largely because of a couple of things. First of all, Centene is almost exclusively in the managed Medicaid and some Medicare business. That's not like offering to a self-funded employer. You know, those are all fully insured, meaning you're, you're on the hook for all of those services. And they took a huge hit um, because of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. and they had to pay all those claims. In addition, Centene being mostly Medicaid 
and we know that COVID hospitalizations were, you know, disparately on the lower socioeconomic part of the scale. So poor people had a much harder time because they have more comorbid morbidities, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the nature of Centene's business is why their earnings were down in 2021. Uh, Humana does mostly Medicare uh, and Medicare Advantage. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So yeah. mm-hmm. now, now, granted, before we we went on today, you cautioned a bit against you know looking at specific quarters because it can fluctuate from quarter to quarter. Um, mm-hmm. Humana posted a, a nearly fifteen percent increase um, for the quarter two for this year versus quarter one mm-hmm. of last year. What do you think accounts for that much of an? We're talking uh, almost or just over three billion dollars. Yeah. To a, to a large degree, this is that issue I talked about where, you know, their population got healthier. What what COVID did for Humana and for all of Medicare is, you know, it it got rid of. And I and again, I'm I'm sensitive mm-hmm. to the fact that these are right. lives, and I, mm-hmm. I don't mean to, but the reality, the factual reality is, you know, of the roughly one million people that passed away from COVID, 750,000 of them were above age 65 or Medicare, Mm -hmm. okay? And these are people that were the uh, most unhealthy on average, Medicare. They had other comorbidities. So if you think about it from a humanist perspective, and that's who they insure, largely Medicare, people who had other chronic illnesses disproportionately passed away from COVID. So they lost all of that expense and the revenue, but those people they were losing money on, what they kept are largely the more healthy senior citizens who mm-hmm. didn't have those comorbidities. And what you see then is a big jump now that we're sort of coming out of COVID and we're starting to see the you know, the final results of it, a big jump in earnings right. because their population got healthier, same amount of revenue, just you lost a lot of expenses. So that's mm-hmm. another winner from the you know, the standpoint of, of their part of the business. Where Centene was a loser because of who they cover, Humana was a winner because of who they cover. Right. And I do want to point out we are excluding Aetna from what we're talking about because Aetna being owned by, by CVS uh, Pharmacy, it's it's a little difficult sometimes to, to extrapolate their insurance earnings um, from their retail earnings. Um, right. So there is data out there for CVS, but it's it's, like I said, it's hard to compare the two when you're mixing them all together. The right. last one we do want to talk about on this list is Kaiser Permanente, the um, the carrier and the the um, healthcare delivery system in California. They reported a net operating loss for this quarter, uh, quarter two of twenty twenty two, of one point three billion, and mm-hmm. that's compared to a net income from quarter two of last year of nearly three billion. What accounts right. for that significant of a? I mean, that's a four billion dollar loss um, year yeah. over year. What what do you think accounts for that? Well, there's two things that make Kaiser a bit different than the others. First of all, Kaiser's a nonprofit entity, so they don't have the same earnings or mm-hmm. stock price pressure, and they and it also limits some of their earnings capability. The biggest thing is, is that Kaiser is a small insurance company and a large delivery system. You know, Kaiser owns 26 some odd hospitals. They own a bunch of physicians and medical offices, et cetera. So that loss is more of a reflection of what's happening to the delivery systems all over the country. Labor prices are going through the roof. You know, nursing salaries are going way up. Mm-hmm. The cost of, of providing care, delivering care is going, you know, absolutely through the roof. Well, when you look at Kaiser from a perspective, you know, with all the nurses they employ and the hospitals they have to staff, et cetera, 
that huge turnaround one quarter compared to a year ago in the next quarter is a reflection of that. Right. And so when I look at Kaiser and, and I earlier in my career, I worked for Kaiser. I was a Kaiser employee. When I look at Kaiser, don't look at them like an insurance company. Look at them like a big delivery system, a mm-hmm. hospital and, and physician group and medical office delivery system. And that should scare the bejesus out of us because, you know, what's happening on the delivery side is really scary and is much likely to have a much more um, imminent impact on the delivery of care because the only way to sort of fix those kind of things are to start reducing things like staffing levels mm-hmm. or the kind of services you provide. And that's going to have a real direct impact on, you know, on how care gets delivered and how we receive it. And we did take a look too at, uh, we did, I don't think we did it on the podcast, but off the side, we did look at the quarter one results of a lot of the large delivery systems in the U.S. And I think um, it was some had marginal increases and others and the rest had significant decreases in their in their um income or loss um from the year over year particularly even coming out of COVID, they they weren't doing better than mm-hmm. what they were and it and it's a large part of what you said of uh staffing and and supplies as well yeah and the labor market really didn't i mean q1 won't show a lot of the labor market increase q1's q2 is a better mm-hmm. um indicator of it q3 is going to be very interesting because it hasn't subsided yet um and so you know q1 uh, you know is somewhat telling but we start to get the full picture in q2 and q3 is going to be very important because you know for a lot of these delivery systems and for folks like kaiser if q3 is just as bad as q2 then they're going to have to start taking some fairly serious actions um and they've got very few levers to pull other than reducing staffing and trying to reduce other costs. Finally, as we wrap up kind of this uh, pulse check on the healthcare economy, how do payer earnings affect the quality, access, and affordability of healthcare for, for average patients? Not much. Um, not much direct <laughs> impact. There are other okay. things that have a lot better, you know, a little bit on affordability. And we, as we talked about where, you know, they'll give rebates back to employers if they're making too much money. Um, but to a large degree, very little impact on, I would say, quality or access. Okay. We will have uh, these reports uh, posted in the show notes for this episode of the Flatlining Podcast. You can find it wherever you're listening to your podcast. Just open the description or go to flatlining.net. The next thing we want to talk about is uh, a main hospital. Um, this was, I would call it, put this in our minor news category, but I thought it was rather interesting. The, um, Maine Health, uh, which is one of the larger hospital delivery systems in the state of Maine, is dropping Blue Cross Blue Shield Maine for their employees uh, and switching to Aetna. And they've cited $70 million in unpaid claims over the last three years as the main reason. And they say that Aetna better understands the healthcare space uh, the people of Maine and how to better support them. Um, normally, we wouldn't cover this other than I thought it was interesting because Blue Cross Blue Shield Maine, like a lot of the other state Blue Cross plans, um, markets themselves as being local. Ron, how does something like this hurt the Blue Cross Blue Shield brand in Maine as being a as being a local provider when their when their main carrier when their main delivery system isn't using them as an insurance provider anymore? Yeah, and that's going to be, you know, it's going to smart. I mean, you know, they like to be the local 
player and they like to say all healthcare is local, your hospital is local, your doctors are local, your insurance company should be local too, where, you know, Aetna and Cigna and United, et cetera, are all considered national mm-hmm. multi-site carriers. So it's going to smart their ego a little bit. Um, the big thing that for me is, and we won't ever know sort of what was the real reason. Was it the 70 million claims? Did Aetna offer them lower cost on administration? Right. Did Aetna create a benefit plan that will steer um, their own employees back to their own hospital? One of the things that drives a hospital nuts is to pay money for healthcare that gets delivered at a competitor hospital. Right. You know, because they like, feel mm-hmm. like they're buying their competitor's product. So, but the, the thing that's interesting to me is, you know, this is anytime you make this kind of a shift, it's it's hard to do administratively. You might have some member disruption or, or some mm-hmm. employee unhappiness is, you know, is this something that we're going to see more and more of because hospitals are hurting? And, you know, maybe when they were doing well, maybe Aetna could have said, hey, I'll give you, a, you know, I'll lower your cost administration by a couple hundred thousand dollars. And somebody might have said, "Eh, you know, it's not worth it to do the headache. Or are they in a situation now where they got to look for every penny they can find? Right. So, uh, you know, it's, I'm going to be interested to see if we see more of this kind of thing that's a bit unusual. Um, and is it because delivery systems are in trouble? So I'm guessing that you probably chalk this up a lot as, as a money issue. I, I think it's definitely a money issue. And whether it's lowering their cost, and it could be that they got angry that they had $70 million of unpaid claims. Mm-hmm. Um, um or is it they're driving more business? But, you know, they're not going to make any shift unless there's some sort of financial driver behind it. Um, and so it's, it's clearly a money issue. I'm not sure exactly where because we, you know, we don't know all the information. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's money issue. And as a, But as a business owner, these are the kinds of things that you look at when you look at, you know, Fulcrum strategies of, of you know, what's going to be, you do the cost benefit. What's, what's it going to be worth to stay with one insurance carrier over the other? And obviously, Maine Health is going to have significantly more employees than, than Fulcrum Strategies does. Yeah. But um, so it may be a, a bigger bottom line than what we would look at. But you you look at these decisions. I mean, how difficult are these decisions to make every single year? Well, it's and it really depends on the the the, the state of the employer. So when employers are doing well, okay, and you know they're they're not worried about as much about budgets and finances. They tend to lean more towards employee satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I might pay a little bit more to make sure I've got a, a, an insurance company that has, you know, every doctor in the world in their network versus somebody who doesn't, right. um, or who I think, you know, gosh, I don't want to make the employees go through the pain of getting a new ID card and all that other stuff. Now, if I'm in any business, if I'm hurting and I'm trying to make ends meet and I don't know how I'm going to make payroll, then yeah, I'm going to do things that potentially are cheaper for me that might be a little bit less on the, you know, the, the employee satisfaction scale because mm-hmm. I have to. Right. So that's, like I said, that's what I'm wondering, is the hospital, like all other hospitals, hurting and where they had to do something, um, even though it's going to probably have some employee dissatisfaction to it? Finally, do you think average patients should care who their hospital buys insurance from for their employees? Um, they, they should care. Um largely due to, you know, how sort of good or what kind of customer service, how good is the claims payment for that insurance company? Um, you know, they're different insurance companies have different, you know, reputations for quality of service or care coverage mm-hmm. network. So yeah, all of that should, uh, um, you know, 
should factor into it. Let's go ahead and move on now to what I think is probably going to be the main uh, segment of our program today, when it's uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi, and they're suing the University of Mississippi Medical Center, which is one of the state's largest um, hospital chains, and I believe it is also the state's only academic hospital chain, um, and the state uses it as a safety net uh, for their um, Medicare, or excuse me, Medicaid patients. It's kind of the typical thing we see with providers at, at Fulcrum Strategies. The hospital group asked for an increase from Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, they sent out a termination letter to Blue Cross to get them to come to the table, and the contract was eventually terminated. Um, this is fairly common. Uh, what was a little bit uncommon, I thought, was that the hospital then started a social media campaign and a nearly $300,000 advertising campaign against Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi. And it's because of that campaign, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is suing several executives at the hospital. And I guess I wanna start by asking you, Ron, is this something that you have seen um, from an insurance company before suing hospital executives over uh, defamation? Um, no, it, it is a bit unusual. Um, and, and this kind of fight between hospital and payer is not completely uncommon, but also not typical. I mean, one you know, usually there's you know one or two of these that happen in a state every few years. You know, it's not something that every day you read the papers. Of. So it's it's an unusual thing to happen. Um, the taking it to the next level of getting into the social media stuff and then suing for defamation and then i'm sure there's going to be a countersuit and i you know mm -hmm. let's see how good a predictor i am at some point the hospital's going to try to file a complaint with the ftc from about blue cross being a monopoly right. uh, or they're going to sue them for restraint of trade or unfair trade practices i mean you know they're they're both sides have decided that you know to use the you know to use the hockey analogy it's time to drop the gloves and go for it you know mm -hmm. um so, uh, but that's, that's lawsuits back and forth, and especially suing individuals is unusual. I thought it was interesting the, uh, when I was doing some research on this particular story, this isn't the first time um, the University of Mississippi Medical Center has decided to um, step up to the plate against Blue Cross. Uh, apparently back in 2018, they terminated Blue Cross, uh, and this was after they were they didn't come to an agreement over rewriting their 28-year-old contract. And um, according to the lawsuit, they got a, a marginal increase out of that. Um, I think it was 5% year over year. Um, mm -hmm. depending, I guess depending on whatever their, uh, their previous contract was, which we don't know, you know, we don't really know how much that equates to uh, in money. Um, the lawsuit says that because the provider is using, um, because the hospital system is using words like force, exclude, and dropped from their marketing, such as Blue Cross is forcing uh, us to not see their members anymore, or they're excluding Blue Cross members from kind of this hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, they're saying that, that those are the problematic words because the hospital was the one who terminated the contract. Mm -hmm. After dealing with contracts, I think we can say that that's technically true, 
But do you think that the hospital system is going to be able to argue in the reverse that that's just that's just the way healthcare contracts work? Well, a couple of things. And again, I, with what we can see from the outside, um, I would tell you that uh, I think Blue Cross has an enormously difficult time proving defamation or anything um, from -hmm. what the hospital's doing. The reality is Blue Cross of Mississippi controls 56% of the insurance market in that state. They are the 800 pound, Mm -hmm. far more than, you know, than most market shares of other states in Blue Cross. So, you know, if, if Blue Cross, if, if Blue Cross of Mississippi won't give you a raise, it's not too far to say, well, they forced me out because they're, they're right. so big that they can do massive detriment to my bottom line. Right. Um, now, this university system is also a big hospital, so we've got giants fighting. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the lawsuit from Blue Cross has anything to do with actually wanting to win a defamation case. To be honest okay. with you, this is going to be resolved before this lawsuit ever goes to trial. Right. It's yeah. about applying pressure. And it's also about the executives of Blue Cross being a little ticked off that, you know, the hospital went to social media. So this is the, oh, you know, you move your pawn to my rook while I move my queen to your bishop. You know, this is, I'll show you, I'll sue you, um, and I'll sue individuals. And I think the next move is going to be the delivery system going, well, then I'm going to sue you for restraint of trade and unfair trade practices that Mm -hmm. I trust. You know, um, this is all about applying pressure because they're playing, you know, high-stakes poker here. Um, And both sides are big and are used to getting their way. And so it's, like I said, it's like the two biggest kids on the block, at some point they're gonna fight. Um, and I do want to- are doing just that. And I do want to point out that these are, the, the technically Blue Cross is not suing the hospital chain or the university, they're suing the, the, the vice chancellor for health affairs right. and the dean of the medical school, the associate right. vice chancellor, and then the communications director. And then I think they cited 10 or 11 John and Jane Doe's who were the, right. I guess, the people who actually did the social media posts. Um, yeah. And, of course, they're arguing they've harmed the reputation of Blue Cross Blue Shield. I think a lot of providers look at this and say, yeah, you know what, this is what they do. This 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 yeah. has been their reputation all along. Yeah. And th- and that's why I think they're going to have a hard time, you know, with a with a defamation case. And, and that just, the point that they, the fact that they sued individuals also tells me that, you know, that, this isn't about winning a defamation case, it's about applying pressure. Mm-hmm. It's that they wanted a lawsuit served to these individuals. They want to try to tell these individuals, you have to get your own counsel. They want to depose these individuals separately rather than under a corporate umbrella. <clears throat> you know, I think one of the, obviously one of the first things that the university is probably going to do on behalf of these individuals is they're going to try to file a motion to get this thing thrown out of court. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to say, well, they were operating as part of the hospital or the university system, and they can't be sued individually. You have to sue the you – know, so they're – you know, lawyers are going to get rich on this. But oh, yeah. I don't think – to be honest, I don't think we're ever going to see an end to this lawsuit because mm-hmm. the contract's going to resolve before that. Right. Uh, does a hospital chain – like, now, granted, this is a very large hospital chain, but does a mm-hmm. hospital chain um, asking for an increase – I'm going to assume that it's probably in the 20% margin, uh, just given that that's what uh, United Healthcare and Wake Med went out of network for over over 20% of the first year. Do you think that that's seriously going to hurt Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi's bottom line, or do you think it's? I mean, we saw the numbers earlier. Granted, it was for Elevance and not the individual Blue Cross plans, but how much does it actually hurt Blue Cross Blue Shield? 
And is it really a concession that they're not able to make? Um, well, it's, it's a, you know, they could make whatever concession they wanted to. Okay. Even if they didn't have the money to do it because they would just reflect it in the premiums that they charge, right. you know, to the customers down downstream. And when you've got 50%, 6% market share, you can get away with not everything, almost anything as far as that goes. Um, so, you, you know, if Blue Cross of Mississippi tries to say, well, I, you know, I couldn't possibly afford what they asked for. That's a lie. Of course they can. Mm-hmm. Um, now, part of this is, you know, who's the bigger kid on the block and I'm not going to get pushed around by any hospital. Hospitals say I'm not going to get pushed around by an insurance company. I'm more important. So part of that is, you know, I want to show my, you know, my, my dominance. Um, part of it is sort of the payer theory, like the old domino theory in Southeast Asia. Well, if I let this hospital get away with it, then everybody's going to want one. Right. Part of it is they will have an inherent, and I've been on both sides of this argument, they will have an inherent disagreement on how much more Blue Cross should pay to a university academic medical center for the same service they could get at another facility much cheaper. Right. And the, you know, Blue Cross is going to say, well, why should I pay you 50% more for a delivery than I pay down the road to another hospital and do it for this much money? You know, there, there's no point in that. And the hospital is going to say, well, I do teaching and I provide all this indigent care and you have to pay for that. And Blue Cross is going to say, no, I don't. My customers don't want to pay for that. If You, you should talk to the government to make them pay for the, this, those things you provide. Mm-hmm. And that will be an inherent disagreement because part of the problem with something like university setting is they are more expensive because they do different things. They do teaching, they provide indigent care, et cetera. Um, and they feel like they should be paid a premium to cover those costs and the insurance companies don't think so. Having um, worked, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, yeah. I was going to say, having worked on both sides of this, when, when you were on the payer side and you have a conflict similar to this with the university system, how likely uh, is it to work out in the university's favor from your experience? Well, my experience before it got to that, the defamation lawsuit, but you know, you, yeah. you, what you've done. Well, at the end of the day, in any, whether the negotiation gets into termination and goes public and people get angry with each other um, or whether it doesn't, at the end of the day, the vast majority of these end out with both sides feeling some hurt and some mm-hmm. pleasure. I mean, you know, in some respects, that's perfect negotiation when both sides feel equal amounts of pain and pleasure. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and there's varying degrees of who got a little bit better than the other one. But, you know, I've been I've been negotiating contracts for 36 years now, both on the payer side and the provider side. I don't think I can remember any time where I felt like I won 100% of the deal um, or lost 100%. You mm-hmm. know, I might have different feelings of, Boy, they got a little bit better of me this time, or I got a little bit better of them. But at the end of the day, the university's not going to get a contract that they're thrilled about, and Blue Cross is going to have to give up some money that they're not thrilled about. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, that the the university, or or in this case, Blue Cross, would have the upper hand in something like the court of a public court of public opinion? Because on the one hand, you have all the Blue Cross, you have the fifty percent, fifty seven percent of um, insured people in the state of Mississippi who have a Blue Cross plan that now can't go to the um, University of Mississippi Medical Mm -hmm. Center. 
And on the other hand, you have people that are probably fairly loyal to their doctor or their physician um, at this particular hospital chain. Who do you think wins in the court of public opinion with, with things like this? Well, and this is, this is something that's also interesting about what this hospital did. Um, you know, the ad budget, the social media stuff, mm-hmm. um, inherently in the past, the provider has had a lot of advantages but hasn't used them, okay? The provider of service, whether it's a hospital doctor, et cetera, and hospitals are just buildings where a lot of doctors work. So um, what they are is they're people that walk around with white lab coats and stethoscopes and they save lives, mm-hmm. okay? So that's a better starting position than being an insurance company. The general public opinion of insurance companies is somewhere either slightly better or slightly worse than tobacco companies, you know? So, right. I mean, they start out with, they, you know, they get into the batter's box with two strikes, okay? Now, in the past, the insurance industry has done a much better job of spin, and they've devoted a lot of money to it, and they're good at it. They're good at talking about making healthcare affordable, and how they're just trying to look out for their members and their customers. And they do a wonderful job of spinning an argument about, well, if we did this, you know, millions of people in our state wouldn't be able to afford insurance anymore, which is right. complete and utter BS. Mm-hmm. But they're good at it. And what the provider systems haven't done well is done their spin. They've not traipsed out somebody who's, you know, this frazzled looking doctor going, I just want to care for these patients. And if we don't get this money, they're going to cut down on the nursing staff and, and I'm not going to be able to provide great care. And, you know, and here at University Medical Center, you know, we're in the business of caring and all. I mean, now it looks like the game is getting upped and not just here, but in others. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, knowing what they come into it, if the university system does a good job of this court of public opinion, they should win every day of the week and twice on day. Yeah, absolutely. And after seeing some of the um, the marketing materials that Blue Cross cited in their um, in their lawsuit, they included some of the pictures from their social media campaign. It, you know, it's got a picture of a of a particular patient who's sick, and it, the caption is "Blue Cross doesn't care about this person because now they can't come to our hospital." And right. I mean. I almost want to say, how do you argue with that? And I'm sure Blue Cross could come up with a response if they if they wanted to. But has this upped? Do you think this is going to up the payer side for their marketing campaigns when they enter a dispute like this? Do you think you could see uh, a social media campaign from a Blue Cross Mississippi saying this hospital doesn't care about their patients? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, once you, you know, to go back to the high, once you drop the gloves and start throwing bombs, nobody gets hit with a punch and says, well, I think I'll throw the next one a little less hard so I don't get hit again. No, you, you wail off on the next one. So right. I, I got to believe that in the Blue Cross, you know, C-suite, there's either done or plans to go, well, okay, you know, let's make them look terrible. Mm-hmm. What can we throw at them? Um you know, it's like I said, once, you know, you know, once the Donnybrook begins, rules are out the window. Now, now everybody's fighting to win. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the next round from Blue Cross being upping their game. Do you think this is going to stay for now? Do you think this will stay local to, to Mississippi? Or do you think you'll see other Blue Cross plans or Anthem getting involved with these sorts of uh, things in the other states that they operate in? Well, um, 
I think we're going to see more and more of this, not because people are watching Mississippi, so to speak, although right. some delivery systems might look watch it from a technique or a tactic perspective, but because delivery systems are hurting, they know the, the, the payers have money, they need that money, the payers aren't going to want to give it to him. And so the, the, you know, the chance of these fights or these little, you know, fires breaking out across the country are, are much higher now. Now, when they break out, um, the payer always wants to keep it between them and the hospital. They don't want it to ever go public because they know that they're behind the, you know, the count on public when it goes mm -hmm. there. So they would much rather, you know, keep it internal. Um, might be watching this to say well if it goes public and somebody goes to social media again or somebody you know immediately spins the we are uncaring and want people to die um we've got to have a response to that and it's got to be hardcore and i think to be honest with you the, the individual lawsuits are are an example of that um mm -hmm. to put pressure on it last year uh blue cross north carolina sent out letters to a number of providers saying you know take a pay cut or we'll see you in arbitration um and they did that you know, the new york times reported that they did that without the knowledge of the uh, blue cross association do you think mm -hmm. blue cross mississippi is doing something similar here or do you think the association was aware of what they were about to do well so this is a bit of a different scenario right. um in the in the Blue Cross North Carolina, Blue Cross was picking the fight. Right. Um, in this one, Blue Cross of Mississippi didn't pick it. They're, you know, they're responding to the True. fight. Yes. Um, so I don't think they got permission from the Blue Cross Association to file the individual lawsuits because they were already in a fight. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're probably communicating with the association just to let them know. Um, but that's a very different scenario. What the association got angry with for blue cross of north carolina was doing something without even telling them because right. they were caught unaware um and that's always bad um but yeah this is a I, I don't think mississippi's asking permission for any of this and they don't have to i, I want to turn a little bit back to strategy just just for a minute because we were talking about what the payers might do whether or not this is going to work for them whether or not it works for this particular hospital looking at how the university of mississippi medical center has been doing this public relations strategy do you would you recommend to clients or potential clients that this is the path they ought to take if they get into a nasty fight with the blue crosses or the unitas or, or the signals of the world well so and this is just personal what i tell my sure. clients is you know i forget where i think it comes from you know maybe a movie or something or whatever but I remember this line of, of it looks like this it's like this father talking to his son and saying, you know, son, you know, fights are never a good thing. Always try to avoid a fight at anything you can do to avoid a fight. But if you find yourself in that situation where it can't be avoided, throw the first first punch, the second punch, the third punch and win the damn thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of that once you break through that. So, you know, what I advise would have anybody and I would advise the this delivery system is, hey, if you can stay out of the fight, stay out of the fight. Um, nobody ever wins a fight. You know, you, you, you try to do better than the other guy. Um, now, there's a lot of times where I advise clients to say, look, you know, this, we need to, to make the pair back off on this. So let's um, do what I call, let's step up to the edge together and peer into the abyss. Let's talk about what this looks like if it goes public. Let's talk about what the fight looks like. Do you really want to go there? Because if once we go there, I've got to do A, B, and C, and that's going to be really distasteful to you. You know, you talked about, um, 
you know, Blue Cross of North Carolina threatening to terminate some physician groups. You know, some of those are my clients. Right. And, and we've had discussions with them about, now, if we get terminated, then we go to the media. And do you really want to have terminated a emergency medicine group when I can go to the media and say, my clients were the ones in the ERs taking care of the COVID patients, putting their lives at risk before there was a vaccine and you want to cut their pay? And how much did your CEO make last year? And how much right. did you pay the previous CEO who got a DUI just to leave your company? I mean, again, I can make it pretty ugly. Let's not do it. Now, mm-hmm. if, you know, you're going to get into that fight. And if one of my clients said, hey, we just got the termination letter. All right. Now it's time to go ahead and have at her right. because we've, we can't avoid it anymore. And what's different about this case, too, is, is as the lawsuit does state, the hospital did terminate United as they tried to negotiate mm-hmm. an increase, or excuse me, Blue Cross Mississippi, as they tried mm-hmm. to negotiate an increase. Um, mm-hmm. But it appears that they, they, did, they did seem to follow that message of we've, you know, we've negotiated, we've now terminated, and, you know, we wanted to be ahead of the game on this one and let people know where we stand on this stand on this issue but i can definitely understand how that might backfire for a client the client i mean they could look like i guess in a certain sense you could look like you're bullying um blue cross patients into into complaining to blue cross by saying you can't come oh, to yeah. our hospital now yeah and so it's a you know um you know once the fight starts it's it's hard to really predict where it's going to go and how things are going to interact and what you're going to get caught in and everything i mean um and how the media is going to portray you. I mean, so there's no guarantees with it. Um, and, and maybe in this situation, especially with staffing increases, et cetera, the hospital may have been in a situation to say, look, we got no choice. Right. If we don't get a, a, an increase in Blue Cross, we're going to have to significantly cut staffing, which will decrease quality of care. We, you know, we, we really don't have a choice. And they may have felt like, well, you know, it's, it's inevitable. So let's go ahead and, you know, and, do it upright. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know their situation, but and I don't I don't know the the context of what happened in 2018. But I wonder that if and you would you might know more than I would based off of your experience. But if 20 if the 2018 incident where they went non par with Blue Cross was as ugly as this one, um, or perhaps less so because there weren't any defamation lawsuits that I saw filed in 2018. If it was ugly that may have set the president going into this contract and this negotiation process that, hey, we're just going to get ugly again if you don't, you know, if we don't come to an agreement quickly. How does this yeah, hurt so, future negotiations going forward? Well, so it's a couple of things. So the 2018 one didn't get nearly as ugly. The 2018 one was um, much more of what, what I would call the typical thing. Hospital goes out of network. There's a little bit of back and forth in the media, but not personal. Right. They're not on a network for very long. And then, hey, we reached a deal. Nobody likes it, but it's okay. And, and I think, again, they, I think they got like 5% a year, which mm-hmm. if you look back at 2018, that probably was okay. I mean, inflation right. was 2%. Okay. So I think what is likely to happen, it, what's likely to be the scenario is – that was fine then, but now costs are going through the roof. Hospital went back to Blue Cross and said, hey, I need money, and I need more than 5% this year. And I bet Blue Cross probably said, geez, I just gave you 5% a year. Mm-hmm. What more do you want? Right. And, you know, have at her. Um, so, you know, that's sort of the – now, I will tell you that one of the other things that I um, recommend to clients is 
don't mess around with this. If you're going to terminate, know that you're committed to this. You know, you, you don't just, it's not for the faint of heart. Right. You can have a discussion and say, I might terminate. You can threaten to terminate. But once you pull that trigger, you know, there's that old saying, you can't put the bullet back in the gun. So now you're yeah. in it for whatever. Um, now, I will also tell you there are some hospitals and some medical groups, for that matter, who believe that, you know, that every now and then, every several years, if you just terminate somebody, um, you know, then the rest of them will fear you. Um, and maybe that's true. It's an awful risky proposition. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, you know, it's the old, well, if I never throw an elbow under the boards, um, people are going to think I'm soft. So every now and then right. I got to throw one. You know, that makes people know that I will. Maybe that's true. Do you think, well, before I go into that question, I, I do want to point out that the, the State Department of Insurance um, is looking at the situation, and the State Insurance Commissioner, Mike Cheney, uh, thinks that there may be state law violations on both sides. He thinks that um, University of Mississippi Medical Center, uh, by turning, by Blue Cross's allegation that they're turning patients away, that they shouldn't necessarily be turning away, he says that may be a violation of state law, but at the same token, Blue Cross, because of how large they are, and because of the fact that this is the one of the biggest hospital you know chains in the state, by going non-par with this hospital system, they have now violated state network adequacy requirements by not being able, by not having enough hospitals within a reasonable distance of of their members. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what what they uh, determine on that front. Yeah, and this and I find interesting, and I, I can sort of get it. If I were in his shoes, I'd want this to be over because right. having this kind of insurance company, large medical center fight for a long period of time is a great way to become the ex-commissioner of the Department of Insurance in your mm -hmm. state. So, you know, he, he's got self-interest here. Now, the interesting thing about his thing is, you know, yes, he, he can potentially go after Blue Cross because he's their regulator for network adequacy issues. He can't go after the hospital system for violating state law on, you know, turning away patients. That he's not the regulator of that. Right. Yeah. I'm bringing that up. I find interesting. Somebody, the attorney general or somebody else, would have to go after the hospital for that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting that, and if I were in issues, I'd do the same thing. It's like, look, kids, if you don't stop fighting, I'm gonna punish both of you. I don't even care whose fault it was. You're both going into timeout. Right. And that's what he's trying to do to get the, you know, the contract solved. In that sense, he's doing a service for, you know, sort of the public good because, you know, it isn't good for the patients or the employers or the residents in their area for to have these two giants fight. Mm -hmm. I, the other question I want to get to that I sidetracked for just a second. Um, in North Carolina, we have Wake Med in the, in the Raleigh area that's closer to where we're located for Fulcrum Strategies. Mm -hmm. They're one of the larger hospital chains in that part of the state. Um, they've been non-par with United since June of this year. And I do want to point out that we are not, you know, WakeMed is not a client of ours. Nope. But um, how do you think they're watching the situation? Um, and do you think that that will change their current negotiation process? So um, this is not the first time those two have come to blows. Um, it happened several years ago. Um Wake Med is um, like a university setting in Wake County in that they're the hospital that has more teaching responsibilities, a much higher indigent care, a much higher mm -hmm. uh, Medicaid population, et cetera. And so, you know, they constantly are in a different cost structure and they have to ask for more and payers say, well, why, why can't you be like Rex, which is just down the road? Right. They don't charge as much for this. 
And so are they in United have, have come to blows before. Now, it's not, it hasn't gotten real public and ugly, a little public, but not ugly yet. And I don't think it will. You know, the last time they were out of network, they were out of network for a few months, and then they get them back in. I expect the same thing to happen. But what I don't know is how much financial pressure WakeMed is under um, because of, you know, cost increases. So, you know, if this one suddenly blew up and got ugly or they were out of network for a longer period of time, it wouldn't surprise me because it's a different environment. Um, but I don't think Wake Med is specifically watching this. I think they, you know, they know this game. They've played it before. Mm-hmm. Um, last time they, they went to blows and this was horrible, but, um, and, you know, United took some heat for this. It wasn't necessarily their fault. There was an individual, a wife who was driving her husband to the emergency room. He was having a heart attack. And she drove past Wake Med to the other hospital, Rex, because she thought that Wake Med was out of network for United. And it was out of network. Now, what she didn't understand, because it's, you know, sort of a technical um, insurance thing, is that they would have to cover emergency services right. at the hospital. So she could have gone into the ER at Wake Med and gotten full coverage. But she drove past it, and her husband died in the parking lot of the other hospital before he ever got in the doors. Now, we don't know whether he would have still passed away, even if she'd gone into Wake. You know, we don't right. know. But mm-hmm. from a news media perspective, it looked bad um, yeah. for both of them a little bit, but more so for United. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think Wake Med's specifically watching the blow-by-blow. Blow. I think they've got their game plan, and, you know, we'll see how it plays out here in Raleigh. And, I mean, we do know, I mean, putting it in our healthcare equation, we do know that this definitely affects access when a, when a big hospital chain goes non-par with a big pair. Uh, definitely affects access. In the long run, how does this affect quality and affordability? Um, well, I think the outcome is what will drive those. So right. if, if in these cases the providers lose big time, you know, and don't get the money they need, et cetera, it's going to affect quality and access because, like we've talked about, the only other place to find that money is reducing costs, um, and a lot of that will, you know, will mean staffing and some other things that are, that reduce the product we're getting. Um, now, if they win, maybe it improves quality and access. So it really depends on how it comes out and and how bad off really the delivery systems are. Well, I think that's about all the time we have today for. Um, our program, but I, we, we will have all the articles linked in the show notes specifically about this one as well. And um, I did manage to dig out the lawsuit. It was published by one of the local media outlets. And we'll have that linked in the show notes of the program today as well if you want to take a look and read it. Uh, we would love to hear your opinion on what you think might happen in Mississippi. You can send us an email to flatlining at substack.com. You can follow myself or Ron on Twitter or put your comments in the comment section for this episode at flatlining.net. Ron, thanks for coming on the Flatlining Podcast. Again, we appreciate it. A pleasure's all mine. Thank you. For our final thought today, we have another quick payer news item for you. Becker's Payer Issues is reporting that insurance giant Nationwide is starting their own supplemental health plan. This is similar to those plans that Aflac offers. They're working with supplemental insurance providers Brella and AccuRisk to develop this new product. The product is called Nationwide Provide, 
and will pay cash benefits for more than 13,000 conditions. They say will ease out-of-pocket medical bills. Patients can submit claims on their phone or computer when treatment takes place. They say benefits will be paid within 72 hours. Nationwide says the plan is available for brokers in several states. The Flatlining Podcast is a production of Flatlining.net and Fulcrum Strategies. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Be sure to subscribe to the Flatlining Podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Ron Howergan, I'm Matthew Handley. Have a great week. Thank you.